well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking with Brian Strasser of the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. You know, we had Brian on not long ago. He mentioned this uh, law review symposium that was coming up at the University of Minnesota. I said, well, look, let's have you back on because he said uh, he and Rob Dore uh, we're going to attend. I said, well, let's get you on after uh, after that takes place. So Friday, the symposium is held. The uh, caucus tweeting out, or I guess posting on X, uh, running commentary about uh, some of the panels. It was uh, really fascinating stuff. But I wanted to get Brian back on the program. So uh, he'll be with us here in just a minute. Before we get to that, I do have a couple of other things to talk about, starting with Biden's America. It is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. Americans are working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch meat next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. So uh, while Brian was uh, hanging out at the symposium, uh, John Petrolino and Charlie Cook from Riding with Shotgun were uh, in John's car heading down from uh, the, uh, well, the People's Republic of New Jersey uh, into free territory in the state of Virginia. They came down uh, Friday afternoon. We got a chance to go sporting clays uh, shooting on Saturday. As a matter of fact, Miss E went sporting clays shooting for the very first time in her life. <clears throat> Excuse me. She had a, uh, a blast, no pun intended. A little bruised. Afterwards, but, uh, you know, smiles all around. Uh, and then uh, Saturday night, actually Friday night after uh, John and Charlie had rolled into town, I get a text from uh, Charlie. He says, hey, um, what are you doing tomorrow night? Do you want to go see a show? And I was, well, who's playing? Oliver Anthony playing a uh, hometown gig in Farmville. I think this is the first time that Oliver Anthony was back in town since he just, you know, blew up, right? He had a, uh, he had a show at a uh, little restaurant Called the North Street Press Club, like two or three days after he started going viral for uh, Richmond, north of Richmond. Um, and since then, he's been away. He's been touring, you know, playing other uh, gigs. But he came back, uh, played a show at Longwood University in the basketball arena. He's like maybe two blocks away from this restaurant that he was playing in a couple months ago that seats maybe 200 people. Uh, this place, I, I don't know, several thousand, uh, maybe three, four thousand people. So we were able to get tickets. The tickets were sold out, but we were able to get uh, reasonably priced tickets via a third-party vendor. So the three of us that went down to Farmville, we saw Oliver Anthony perform. It's a great show. Um, you can tell that uh, uh, success came very suddenly to Oliver Anthony because I don't think he has a, a whole lot of songs in his repertoire at the moment. Uh, he ended up playing Richmond, North of Richmond twice because the crowd loved it. Closed the show with a cover of Leonard Skinner's Simple Man. But uh, it was a, a great Saturday night. I think everybody had a really good time. Uh, and I want to thank John and Charlie for coming down and hanging out. Missy, like I said, she had an absolute blast. Smile on her face all weekend long. She's so proud of herself. She did a great job. And uh, she's ready to go back 
So I'm excited about that. So anyway, hopefully you had as good a weekend as I did. We won't talk about Sunday. That was um, all of the work that I didn't get done on Saturday. I had to get crammed into one day. I'm still a little sore with all that stuff. But yeah, not nearly as much fun as we had on Saturday. Uh, anyway, now let's get to another not-so-fun topic, the uh, anti-gun movement in academia, which was on full display on Friday, again, at the University of Minnesota and the law school where the Law Review hosted this symposium, co-sponsored by Giffords. So, uh, yeah, you can imagine the uh, the tone and the tenor of this symposium. Brian Strasser of the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus was on hand, and he joined us uh, earlier today to discuss what he heard there at the uh, law school. Take a look and a listen. Brian, thanks so much for coming back on the program. It was good to see you this morning. Great to see you, Cam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the last time we were talking, uh, you had mentioned this University of Minnesota Law Symposium that was coming up. Co-sponsored by, uh, I guess, sponsored by Giffords. Uh, so we know what kind of symposium this was. Um, you were not on stage, but you were in attendance on Friday. Uh, what can you tell me about this symposium? Yeah, so I think the the po- the one positive thing I would say is the University of Minnesota Law Review is entirely run by students. And so the students um, really picked the topic. They picked the panel um, you know, the panel makeup, I think we can talk about what those look like a little bit, but, um, I will give the students credit. It was a well-run event, even though the, the bias from the anti-gun perspective was quite evident throughout the entire event. Again, as you would expect with, uh, you know, a gun control group like Giffords involved. Um, so, so what were some of the panels? I know that at one point, weren't they talking about, uh, there was one panel, I think with like racial justice issues. Keith Ellison was, uh, was a part of that panel, right? Yeah, so the the uh, the initial panel was about racial disparities in criminal justice focused on um, gun laws. Right. And um, so there were there were a couple different panelists, one of which was Attorney General Keith Ellison, um, who we've squared off against not only back to his time in Congress, but he's currently defending um, the 18 to 20 year old carry ban before the Eighth Circuit. We beat him in federal district court, along with Firearms Policy Coalition and the Second Amendment Foundation, they've now appealed. And so we're waiting on that appeal to go through. And then they had a um, there were a few other panelists. They were all primarily law professors or um, historians to some perspective. Um, one of the law professors on the panel, I think he was from NYU, brought an interesting perspective. He'd been a public defender in Washington, D.C., and talked about how they used Heller and McDonald to get gun convictions overturned um, about, you know, at the time, the District of Columbia had a complete firearms ban uh, or handgun ban. So he talked a little bit about that, but then just completely pivoted to, I don't want more guns in the community. So I feel, you know, conflicted about, you know, using these to reduce racial disparities, using gun rights to reduce racial disparities. Yeah, that was and, the first panel. Okay, yeah, and I, I you know, I, I wrote about this based on uh, your running commentary uh, on, uh, on on X because um, I thought it was interesting where uh, when uh, Ellison talked about wanting to go upstream, right? Uh, well, we can't arrest everybody who's carrying a gun illegally. Uh, you got to go upstream, so you got to go after the the, the firearm dealers. You got to go after not even the straw purchasers. It sounds like, but uh, he's focused almost entirely on the FFL side of the equation, right? And not the permanent yeah. possessors, not the people who are you know trafficking in firearms, uh, but but let's go after the gun stores and shut them down. Yeah, I mean, he's engaged in a current lawsuit here against Fleet Farm. Fleet Farm 
you know, being a, a regional retailer, one of the biggest firearms retailers uh, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, I think there are a few other states, um, formerly owned by a Minnesota family, they sold a few years ago. Um, they're suing Fleet Farm for negligent sales, uh, whereas Fleet Farm is saying, well, look, we followed federal law. Everybody we sold a firearm to passed the NICS check. Um, and they're trying to hold Fleet Farm accountable essentially for a straw purchasing group that was going through fleet multiple fleet farms, buying firearms and then selling them on the street. I don't know that that's Fleet Farm's fault that that happened. I, I don't understand the negligence. And he did get called on that by a law student in the audience, a, a second year law student who said, I don't understand the negligence here. And Ellison goes, well, just wait till the discovery comes out of what we've learned. But he wouldn't answer the question. I was like, uh -huh. really? so like, well, what is it right What's going on? And I mean, we've read all the court filings. We haven't seen anything that indicates any kind of negligence on the part of Fleet Farm. So we'll we'll see where it goes in court. Yeah, we'll we'll see. But yeah, you know, again, I mean, around the country, what you see is that uh, efforts to to fight straw purchases are primarily, you know, FFLs play a, a, an integral role in that, right? You've got the Don't right. Lie for the Other Guy program that the NSSF has had in conjunction with the That's ATF right. and FFLs for well over a decade at this point. Um, so I do think it's interesting that, uh, you know, he, he is, uh, again, still doubling down on this idea that you don't actually have to go after the trigger pullers. Right. Uh, if you go after the trigger sellers, right, that, that's that's going to be enough to fight violent crime. Um, yeah. Rahimi also came up uh, during an afternoon panel, right? Yeah. So the Rahimi panel, I mean, it, look, it was a good discussion um, on Rahimi. However, I would say 80% of the conversation was a public policy discussion around um, the intersection between domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and firearms. And I don't think, I mean, I, I, I asked a question of this panel. I, and, and the way I framed it was, I completely agree there's an issue when you have violent individuals in an intimate relationship who have firearms and then use those firearms. Get it. I want to separate those folks. But your your entire discussion here at a legal symposium was about the public policy aspects of this and the data behind it. And we all understand that. My question is, does Congress actually have the authority to remove an individual's right to keep and bear arms over a state family court order. Why is that a federal crime? That's the question in Rahimi that I think the panel would like for you to tell me where Congress gets that authority. And they all looked at me like I had five heads <laughs> and said, well, the Commerce Clause allows Congress to do that. And they didn't go into any more detail. They didn't address any of the previous case law around the Commerce Clause and its intersection with the Second Amendment, the gun-free school cases, or some of the other cases that have come up. Um, it was entirely a public policy discussion. They never really got into the legal aspects of Rahimi. And I, you know, I, I mean, on the one hand, I can't say that I blame them. Um, because as you say, this is a much easier argument to make from a public policy perspective than it is from 100%. a legal perspective, right? Right. You know, even you talk to gun owners, uh, no one's going to say, yeah, Zachary Rahimi is the poster child for the right to keep bare arms. Absolutely right. Here, here's a guy who's been accused of doing um, uh, all kinds of criminal offenses that but that go, by the way, uh, before and after he uh, had that domestic violence restraining order. But that's not the question. The question isn't whether or not Zachary Rahimi is a good guy. Uh, right. The question is, can he be prohibited from owning a firearm? Because, as you say, 
because of that mechanism, right? Because of that civil court order that was handed down in state court, as opposed to, I don't know, keeping it behind uh, bars on a high bond because he is a threat to the community. Uh, yeah. There are other avenues, you know, that could have been taken to uh, deprive Mr. Rahimi of his right to keep your arms, but that's not what happened. Um, right. And so I, 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 you know, again, like I said, I understand why they would like to keep this public policy focused uh, because when you get into those legal questions again, I mean, okay. So the commerce clause, well, that's awfully open-ended, isn't it? I mean, if, if you're going to say, well, guns are used in the interstate commerce, and so therefore Congress can do anything they want yeah, that's because a, these that's things travel in interstate commerce, I mean, that's that's absurd, right? right? Where's the limiting principle there? Yeah, and they wouldn't. They didn't get into any of that either, and I didn't get – I wasn't able to ask a follow-up question because I wanted to pose the very thing, right? The only intersection between a gun and interstate commerce is it got shipped somewhere probably crossed the state line and got to a gun shop where it was purchased. Right. That's yeah. it. <laughs> right. And apparently that's enough for them. Well, um, they're going to, they're very much focused on the, the end means, right? They don't, yeah. they don't really like Bruin because it removes that idea of end means scrutiny and makes them justify this. Um, I, there was a comment, I think during the, the, the second panel about Bruin that Bruin has flipped things on its head and that everything is now presumptuously unconstitutional unless we can prove that it is. And I'm sitting there going, that's the way all the constitutional rights should be, not the other way around that it's constitutional just because Congress passed it or a legislature passed it. Absolutely. But again, I mean, the Second Amendment is, I think, far and away the most disfavored right. You know, we uh, we had Justice Thomas talk about uh, Second Amendment can't be treated as a second class right, but but. You know, one of the struggles is to even have it recognized as a right That's and right. not even a second class right, but just as a right and not a privilege yeah. to be doled out by the state. Um, yeah, I mean, the our attorney general has said on numerous occasions that Heller was wrongfully decided. <clears throat> and the uh, uh, Megan, Megan Walsh, who is the uh, professor that oversees the gun violence prevention clinic, the gun control clinic at the University of Minnesota Law School, when she was a young lawyer, they, her firm filed an amicus in the McDonald decision and said there is no right to, for, you know, cities should be able to basically ban handguns like like Oak Grove, uh, I think it was Oak Grove, Illinois, yeah. that they were defending in that case. So was there was there anybody uh, in any of the panels that were that was uh, supportive of the Bruin decision? I wouldn't even say pro second yeah. amendment, but just supportive of the Bruin decision. There was one panelist, and to be fair to them, I left. Um, I I wasn't there for the last two panels of the day. Okay. Um, I had uh, hockey tickets with my daughter, but um, on the Bruin a year in review panel, there was a a law professor um there who was, uh, you know, was a Federalist Society member and had written in favor of Bruin. Um, so he was the one dissenting voice, at least of the three panels that I saw. Um, that argued about this, but even his presence, even in his comment, in his conversation, uh, looked at Rahimi because they asked that panel about Rahimi and the history. He goes, well, with Rahimi, uh, I, I think the court will find some gymnastics they will perform and say and rule against Rahimi um, because it's such a bad look for them. Um, so I, I, th I found that interesting, uh, that came up in a number of different contexts, but he was the only, you know, pro two a person that mm -hmm. talked about Rahimi in that way. You know, and I, and I, I've heard that as well. Um, 
uh, you know, if that happens, I will just say I, I hope that those gymnastics uh, don't provide a uh, an opening for, you know, all kinds of things to uh, to withstand constitutional scrutiny, because, you know, that's the problem. I mean, as we saw with Heller, as we've even seen with Bruin, um, you know, you, you, they're, they're activist judges that can take, uh, you know, one sentence and say, all right, that that opens the door for a ban on assault weapons. Right. This is a, we're, we're yeah. dealing with an unprecedented uh, uh, issue, societal issue that didn't exist at the time of the founding. And so therefore, all kinds of gun control laws are uh, are acceptable. Um, you know, and going back to the makeup of this panel or, or the uh, how the symposium came to be, you said that it was the law students who put this together. Mm-hmm. But he also talked about the uh, law review or the law school clinic that's run by uh, Megan Walsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Brian, this is a University of Minnesota is a public institution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there's nothing theoretically preventing a pro Second Amendment uh, law clinic from being established at the University of Minnesota Law School. But do you think that that would ever actually happen? Not at this law school, um, at least not with the current uh, makeup of leadership. I mean, the interim, the law school is without a dean at the moment. The interim dean uh, who kicked things off pointed out that he's been involved in this issue his entire career, that he had worked for the Violence Policy Research Center uh, in Washington, D.C., and that he had been on Chuck Schumer's staff when Schumer was in the uh, in the House of Representatives working on gun control issues. So I don't I don't see the current law school leadership wanting to go in that direction. Um, we're told I mean, we have a cordial relationship with uh, Professor Walsh. Um, you know, she knew we were coming. Uh, she acknowledged our presence. Uh, I did get to ask a question, like I said, Um at the same time, you know, she um, she comes at this from a very anti-gun perspective. She says that her curriculum is more balanced, but I haven't, you know, I'd like to actually see that to understand what that looks like. She certainly hasn't uh, had us into class or anything to propose a different point of view. Yeah. Well, and part of the thing about the clinic is, you know, these are law school students who are assisting in cases, right? They're they're working on amicus briefs. They're doing research. Uh, and all of it seems to be, again, directed at either upholding gun control laws or uh, pushing for new gun control legislation. Not only that, they they she and some of her students are special assistant attorney generals of the state of Minnesota. Uh, we have a copy of Professor Walsh's appointment paperwork just for perspective. Uh, Keith Ellison said that they were helping on the Fleet Farm case and they were helping on our case, the 18 to 20 year old carry case to defend that before the Eighth Circuit. And we know from their social media posts and comments at the symposium that they're helping county attorneys defend the constitutionality of Minnesota's gun laws uh, as they're being litigated across the state as, as as public defenders and other attorneys bring challenges under Bruin. So wow. we know they're doing more than just, you know, writing some amicus briefs. They're engaged in in the actual litigation. You know, so that's obviously one of the challenges that you have going forward, right? You've got this sort of uh, uh, free legal aid for the anti-gunners. Um, but I noticed on the uh, Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus socials uh, over the weekend, it looks like you guys are already starting to push back against uh, gun ban legislation, right? You've got uh, some uh, members of the legislature who are pointing to Maine, pointing to Lewiston and saying, look, this is why we need to ban assault weapons here in Minnesota. Do you yeah, expect that to, to be a, yeah. is that going to be a big push you think next year in the legislature? I, I don't know what they're going to do next year, to be honest. They feel the Democrats right now, the DFL feel pretty good about their position. Um, 
they have complete control of state government, as we've talked about before, both the Senate by one seat, the House by a handful, uh, and they've got the governor and AG until 2026, at least. So, I, but next year is an election year for the House. So I don't know. I'll be curious how far they're willing to push. I don't know that they have the votes in the Senate, uh, given the number of rural DFLers they have, to be able to move forward on any actual gun bans. Um, and the people that are pushing this within the party, other than the state party chair, but the legislators that have introduced such bills are definitely on the more progressive bent of the legislature. And I don't see them as having a lot of pull. Okay. Um, now, all that said, Gabby Giffords is coming here next week. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, later this week for a fundraiser with two of the rural DFL senators that were on the fence and ultimately voted for this gun control. That I don't feel like that bodes well uh, in terms of where they may go uh, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, certainly this is not a time for uh, Minnesota gun owners to rest easy or to uh, get complacent. Uh, and if folks, you know, if there are gun owners in Minnesota who are watching right now, they want to become a part of the caucus. How do they do it, Brian? Uh, you can definitely learn more about the caucus at gunowners.mn and follow us on um, Twitter or X uh, and Facebook and Instagram. We're active on all three. Um, if you do nothing else, get on our mailing list so that you get our action alerts, that you get informed about what's going on. Um, we know, of course, we'd like you to join as a member and support us in that way. But it's more important that you join the mailing list and you take action when the legislature starts to move things in February next year. Absolutely. Well, listen, I'm glad that you were on hand last Friday uh, and I'm glad you got to go to a hockey game uh, as oh, well. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> best we of both lost. worlds. <laughs> uh, well, we lost okay. to Wisconsin, but otherwise it was a good night. All right. Well, it's not perfect, but it was a, it sounds like it was a, a pretty good Friday. Uh, Brian, yeah. thank you so much for your time, man. I look forward to doing this again very soon. Okay. Thanks, Cam. Many thanks to Brian Strasser for uh, joining us on the program, as well as, again, for hanging out. That must have been infuriating. I'm sure it was enlightening. Just to hear where the end I got to say, oh, really? Okay, so that's where you stand. But I don't know if I could have kept my mouth shut for the entire symposium. So kudos to Brian for uh, for doing that. All right. Before we get to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report, just a reminder, Biden's America, it is crushing us. Companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink, as you know, every time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. Truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. Six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, thousands of five-star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call Gold Co. today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. And now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a case out of Florida where a man on probation was arrested after allegedly threatening to shoot nurses at a hospital, also th apparently attacked his pregnant girlfriend who was there to deliver their baby. 26-year-old uh, Tavares Tyrell Smith arrested Friday night, charged with aggravated battery on a pregnant woman, two counts of threatening to shoot nurses, as well as preventing communication to law enforcement after allegedly hitting his pregnant girlfriend, grabbing her phone, and threatening to shoot nurses at uh, UF, UF Health Shands in Gainesville. 
University of Florida Police Department officer responded to the uh, hospital about 1020 Friday night after a call about a possible domestic battery. Security guard told the officer that Smith had been escorted out because he had hit his pregnant girlfriend who was causing a scene. His girlfriend says they were at the hospital to deliver her baby. When he became agitated, they started arguing. She said she became alarmed at his behavior. She took out her phone to take a video in case something happened. That's when he hit her in the chest. She said she tried to call 911, but he took her phone, threw it on the ground. She said Smith said he'd already shot a cop and would do it again if they came to get him. Two nurses heard the argument, came into the room, and they told the respondent officer that they saw Smith holding a pillow and threatening to kill himself. He then threw the pillow on the ground, said he was going to do a, quote, mass shooting in this place. And then he refused to leave. Security guards had to escort him from the building, uh, trespassed him from the uh, hospital. Officers uh, later pulled Smith's car over and arrested him. After reading him his Miranda rights, uh, he reportedly said that he was at the hospital and had an argument with his girlfriend and left. He said he became upset when he was told that he'd be charged with battery and reportedly said, but there was no bruising. No bruising. So it doesn't count. According to um, the uh, Alashua Chronicle, uh, Smith has three previous felony convictions. Again, he's 26 years of age. Uh, One of them is a violent felony conviction. He also has one misdemeanor conviction for a nonviolent charge. Uh, He is on probation after pleading guilty to assault with intent to commit a felony in 2017. Now, according to the Chronicle, Smith has twice been convicted of violating that probation, apparently to little or no effect. Right now, Smith's bail set at $100,000. We will uh, keep our eyes open for any more details in this particular case, but uh, hopefully, hopefully Smith's girlfriend was able to uh, deliver her child uh, safe from harm and will continue to be safe from harm when she leaves. Uh, today's Armed Citizen story, also from Florida where a a suspect, actually multiple suspects, breaking into a home in Pasco County. One of them shot and killed. Two others detained. According to uh, law enforcement sources, there were three uh, individuals who tried to break into a home in Port Ritchie on Friday afternoon. Pasco County Sheriff's Office says the uh, three suspects tried to break into the home in the Hickory Hill Drive area, but there was an armed citizen inside who fired back. One suspect passed away after being struck by gunfire, according to Pasco deputies. A second suspect also shot and fled to a hospital where they were detained by law enforcement. Third suspect in the attempted home invasion detained by Pasco County deputies after a brief search. According to the Pasco County Sheriff's Office, several schools in the area placed in a controlled campus status out of an abundance of caution. They say the shooting investigation remains active and ongoing. So we don't know if this was a uh, a, a targeted uh, home invasion, uh, if they knew the uh, victim inside or whether this was just a, a random encounter. Uh, hopefully, again, we'll have more details uh, as they become available. But to answer the question uh, that the gun controllers love to ask, why does anybody need more than 10 rounds? Because you might have more than one person trying to break into your home to kill you or to rob you or to assault you or to do whatever nefarious things they have in mind. You don't know what they are, by the way, because rarely do they announce their intent. But sometimes they don't show up alone. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. A man with a metal detector in Plymouth, Massachusetts, who came to the aid of a young child who had lost a necklace, a very, very important necklace. Necklace uh, contained some of his mother's ashes. Um, and he was at a, a soccer game or soccer practice, I guess. Uh, 10-year-old Connor 
lost the uh, the necklace that had the locket inside. And um, he was out there on the field. His grandmother, Melissa Moriarty, said soccer practice stopped. Everybody went looking for it. They even went back to the field over the next couple of days, and they, they just couldn't find it. Um, so a gentleman uh, named Lou Assi volunteered to bring his metal detector out to the field and search. And Thursday night, he found the necklace and the locket. Connor has been carrying this locket for the past three years. According to his grandmother, he never takes it off. Only time he takes it off is when he takes a shower. His mom passed away in a car accident three years ago at the age of 31. And uh, Connor and his family say they are obviously very relieved to have the uh, cherished locket back in their possession. So, again, in the right place. I'm sorry, this gets me right in the feels. We've got um, a necklace uh, many of my family members have a necklace with uh, my son's ashes in it. So this 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 hit me a little close to home. But um, I am so glad that um, Lou Assey was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to help a family in need and to, uh, again, bring this little boy back in contact with his mom. So, Lou, huge tip of the hat to you, sir. That's going to do it for this edition of Barron Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always, and I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. It's going to be a two a Tuesday. Who knows what the uh, big news of the day will be, but we'll be talking about it here at BarronArms.com. Don't forget to check out the website in the meantime, where we are constantly updating with the uh, latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. If you like what you see, I also encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. All you have to do go to BarronArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GunRights. And you can get a significant savings on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. News stories and analysis that matter. Just like your support. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. You know, as good as you can. Oh, and by the way, a special shout out to uh, Ronald Coons of, you know, Coons versus Placken, who I uh, found out is a Cam and Company listener. So, Ronald, thank you, sir. It is great to have you along. And uh, thank you for your Second Amendment activism. We'll be talking to you again tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.